Welcome to a new episode of the Fomont Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're featuring a programmer's preview on our Yoshimitsu Morita retrospective and a conversation from the 60th New York Film Festival between filmmakers Joanna Hogg and Kelly Reichardt. First up, listen to programmers Dan Sullivan and Aiko Masubuchi dive into the career and films of Yoshimitsu Morita, one of the most fascinatingly idiosyncratic and prolific directors in modern Japanese cinema. Our Yoshimitsu Morita retrospective takes place through December 11th, with special introductions during opening weekend. Get tickets and all-access passes at filmlink.org slash Morita. Let's go to the preview. Hello, I'm Dan Sullivan. I'm a programmer at Film at Lincoln Center. Uh, I'm joined by uh, by Aiko Masabuchi, um, who is uh, my co-programmer on our upcoming uh, uh, retrospective for uh, Yoshimitsu Morita, um, which will be running uh, at the Walter Reed Theater uh, from December 2nd uh, through the 11th. Hello, Aiko. Hi, Dan. <laughs> so we're just going to uh, talk a little bit about um, about Marita, pr- provide a little bit of context for the retrospective, and uh, try to steer you uh, steer you all towards a few of uh, our picks for the can't-miss uh, films uh, in the lineup. So uh, Marita is, I think, quite well-known in Japan, but not so much outside his reputation outside of Japan is largely founded upon his 1983 uh, film, The Family Game, uh, which we actually showed in New Directors, New Films, uh, way back when. Um, but he's a figure that I think Aiko and I are both pretty fascinated by, um, uh, just given uh, the whole trajectory of his career, um, the sort of artistic and political context uh, in Japan that he that he came out of and sort of where his career uh, ended up uh, and along the way he he sort of he worked in every genre uh, he, but while you know um, uh, making room for uh, many of his sort of signature thematic preoccupations uh, but also you know um, but also refining this, uh, really singular visual sense uh, that we find in his in his work um, uh, throughout, and and so we're uh, we're quite excited to bring uh, bring these uh, films to New York. Uh, you know, a lot of them will probably be screening here for the first time. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, it's a really exciting time, I think, to be able to see so many of his works all at once and together because yeah I think like you said Dan there he's worked in so many different genres so I think some individual films are known and touted as these really important films within his filmography or even within Japanese cinema I think the family game was um like named as the best Japanese film of the 1980s according to um Kinema Junpo, which is uh, Japan's most, I would say, famous uh, film magazine. Um, And so it's very much loved. Yet, until quite recently, there hasn't been a chance to just like see his entire filmography. Um, And it's uh, largely due to uh, his producer and partner in life, Misawa, Kazuko Misawa, who sort of brought everybody together to create these um, DCPs out of all of his films, which is actually a feat because he worked with so many different film companies. So to get everybody on board to be able to do this is quite amazing. 
yeah, it's a real feat of uh, studio diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, and it's interesting because um, he, like, as we're sort of pointing towards, he ends up working. Um, I guess in what you could say is the commercial you know, mainstream Japanese film industry. Uh, but uh, the context that he comes out of is, of course, um, is maybe more more underground uh, leaning. You know, the um, uh, he uh, he comes from the Art Theater Guild, which um, uh, I think, especially in New York, people have, like, some sense of, the, you know, there was a big series at, at MoMA um, a few years ago. But um, we could probably do a, an entire other episode of this uh this podcast uh about uh about the art theater guild but um but in short it was just it's it was kind of a, a fairly radical um counter model for how film production distribution and exhibition could all be consolidated in a way that would that was conducive to making uh radical iconoclastic work as opposed to just you know um mere trifles or entertainments uh, for the masses. I think the other uh, significant thing about Morita is that he started off with 8mm filmmaking, which I think when you look at a lot of filmmakers today making interesting movies from Japan have also started in 8mm filmmaking just because it's, you know, you can pick up a camera and start making films. And so before, even before his first uh, sort of feature something like it there were, there was actually an eight millimeter feature that he made before called live in chigasaki and then many numerous mid-length and short eight millimeter films and i was reading this uh interview or this um essay by akiko ashizawa who i know she's been picked up at lincoln center in the female cinematographer series um but she's you know a very well-known cinematographer in japan today and she when she was in university she remembers going to morita's house in shibuya because she had heard about this one filmmaker making these really interesting eight millimeter films. So people back then when he was way before he was well known in a bigger landscape was seen as this new uprising talent that everybody recognized. Yeah. And and I guess, yeah, we could say he he like he leaves his mark, uh, you know, quite quickly once his career uh, sort of begins. I mean, um, yeah, like we're saying is that perhaps his best known film only comes a couple of years after his uh, feature length, you know, 35 millimeter uh, debut. Um, so maybe we'll just start, you know, by talking a little bit about um, some of our, some of our, our picks from the, uh, from the lineup. And yeah, naturally I think we'll just start with the family game um, uh, making its long anticipated return to, to New York. Um, and we actually found it. It also, uh, we think the film also may have gotten a, a run, or at least it was screened sometimes at the at the uh, that the 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 dearly departed uh, Lincoln Plaza uh, cinemas uh, back in the day. So um, yeah, we found a really fun photograph um, of Morita and then Yusaku Matsuda, who's the star of Family Game, standing outside of Lincoln Plaza. Yeah, so cool. Um, the film itself uh, is a kind of. Um, I guess you could say it's 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 kind of uh, satirical. Um, uh, it, it you know just the broad strokes of the narrative. It kind of involves, um, as the title might suggest, there's a family. Uh, uh, this kind of tutor figure enters into their into their life, and um, and then 
I don't know, I, without giving too much away, I was just say uh, kind of uh, anarchy uh, reigns uh, from there on out. Um, there aren't, I mean, the films that kind of come to mind for me when I think about the family game or think like maybe something like uh, like Jean Vigo, Jean Vigo's work kind of um, kind of reminds me of the family game kind of reminds me of Vigo's work, like uh, zero for conduct or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of um, in this kind of social parable or the social parable that's trying to be through, uh, you know, sort of a uh, crazy stuff happen. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to, how to, how to put it exactly. But, um, but I think the family game is also, it's a good introduction to Marita's uh, visual style. Mm-hmm. Um he is, his work is consistently marked by uh, off-kilter framings, really surprising uh, kind of idiosyncratic camera movements. Um, uh, so I think for, for people who are, uh, who are looking to see films that kind of are marked by this really envelope-pushing kind of iconoclastic approach to, um, to cinematography, I think... Uh, you can't go wrong with a lot of films uh, uh, directed by Morita, but especially the, the family game, I think. Yeah, I can't see a Japanese school playground the same way anymore after seeing the family game. He just has this. And it, the, like the like green ground, which is a, a lot of the schools in Japan, like that appears multiple times in many of his films as well. And just the way he frames them or shoots people within these landscapes are so interesting. And, and it, it's almost like looking at a football pitch from above or something and playing with the players on the field. Um, and, you know, that goes along with the idea of this all being a game. Yeah. And, and we're... Um... Family Game is actually receiving a run as as part of 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 the series. We're sh- showing it every day for the first week of the of the retrospective. Um, but the his subsequent film, uh, Deaths in Tokimeki, um, I think is a film that we're both really fascinated uh, by. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a genre defying, uh, considering the number of sort of genres that he kind of deconstructs or re-envisions. Um, it's striking that this one almost kind of evades any like neat categorization. Um, uh, but it's, it's this totally transfixing kind of mood piece, but this, uh, young guy who goes to this, who shows up in this town on like a mysterious mission. He kind of, he has these handlers, uh, um, who he is kind of, uh, you know, temporarily living with, and and there's this kind of escalating but very unique form of tension, and you know it's building towards something, but you're not quite sure what. Um, but I guess I'll just, again, without giving too much away, I'll just say that this film struck both of us as being uh, extremely relevant now, given things that have happened in, in Japan uh uh, in, in the past year and like the you know the assassination of Shinzo Abe um perhaps I've already said too much <laughs> yeah no it's 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 a piece that I really want people to just experience in a theater just because I feel like the the mood in the piece is so all-encompassing that uh, I'm sure watching it in a theater is you can really experience just the atmosphere that the film creates and some of the um, shots in it are also amazing I think um, 
people often talk about this one scene where there's a um, camera that pans 360 degrees around an actual moving car, um, which is incredible. (laughs) And um, so those, those, you know, um, those both, I think, are fairly representative of, of his 80s work and then we move on to the to the uh to the 90s um and maybe i don't know do you want to talk about haru sure haru um haru is also a very interesting film um it's i guess it's a um boy meets girl kind of romance story but it's set in the early periods of um internet forums and um so I like to say before um, you got mail, there's a story about this couple who two years two years two before, years before <laughs> you yeah. got mail. You get a story of uh, two lovers who meet over the internet, and I love that it's also um, the forum that they meet on is a cinema forum where everybody's talking about the films they love, um, and yeah, and and it's interesting because this was really early on in the internet period and. It really comes out of Morita actually also ex- exploring and discovering this world online um, and him also being interested in how foreign films were doing so well in um, Japan at that time um, and r- thinking that perhaps the reason behind that is the subtitles, that people actually think of subtitles as part of cinema. Um, and so because of that, we're, um, text on screen is a he actually talks about it as, as its own character within the film. Yeah, which is, um, and that's that's something that I think we've seen in um, more explicitly sort of experimental mm-hmm. cinema over the years. But to see it in like a big like commercial film is is really um, is really fascinating. It occurs, yeah, because it's a uh, uh, they meet on like a like a you know a film buffs uh, message board or like kind of <laughs> situation. Um, uh, perhaps we missed an opportunity to get like a, some sponsorship with Letterboxd. Uh, mm. Maybe it's not too, if you're listening, Letterboxd, do you want to give us? Anyway, um, uh, but there was something else I want to say about Haru. It's also such a sweet film. Yeah, I, that is what, like I was going to talk about, it, it has this kind of, um, this very uh, kind of, strange in the modern strange in the contemporary context as this like strangely or uncannily sort of optimistic attitude Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. the possibilities of the internet and its integration into social life um and of course we don't encounter very much of that kind of optimism these days for good reason um but you also don't encounter that I, i feel like in even in cinema you don't really see that kind of optimism about the the uh the advent of the internet like even you know even just a couple a few years after haru i mean even in japanese cinema um you know the internet i think of something like a film that would be known here like kiyoshi kurosawa's pulse or something um extremely pessimistic Mm -hmm. uh uh in in its sort of imagining of what the internet is going to do to uh humans totally but i also feel like a lot of people perhaps relate to finding friends on the internet especially in the er early era where um you know you say you live somewhere where 
art films aren't such a big thing in the same way New York is, but you can find other people who might be interested in the films or music that you were into and not finding them in your hometown, but you being able to find them online. And it's nice to see a film that really captures that. And then um, maybe finally the the last film I think we'll, we'll talk about and, and um, you know, uh, my bringing, I guess, my bringing up Pulse is uh, kind of no accident because Marita's next film is uh, is perhaps his one film that could be categorized as a kind of like J horror or like proto J horror uh, kind of film, The Black House, um, which is just um, I think it's two t- comes two years after Haru, I think two or three ninety eight or ninety nine, um, but. Uh, the Black House is uh, is this kind of grand guignol horror film about insurance scams. So again, like um, a, a terribly relevant uh, uh, film, I think for today. Um, uh, the premise is, uh, is roughly that this uh, an insurance claims uh, uh, clerk, or I don't know how you would call that job. Um, but he uh, he receives a call from a woman who says she's going to commit suicide, and he's uh, basically doing like a wellness check on her, going to her house to 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 try to verify that she has not in fact uh, killed herself. But um, but she arrives, uh, or he arrives to discover uh, someone else has, um, and things just yeah, things uh, become escalatingly. Uh, strange and uh unnerving from there but um but i mean uh, aesthetically of course this this film is uh is super interesting uh along the same lines as we've been describing but i also think um socio-politically it's also one of marita's uh most interesting films and in in that um in that it is dealing pretty explicitly with like the financialization of like life and death and like almost like whether like you know health or life insurance etc like whether these these industries even have like a right to exist considering what they're um what they're exploiting in the name of profit um people interested in 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 the politics of these kinds of frauds masquerade ma- or you know pyramid schemes masquerading as like uh industries um fans so people are interested in that but also people are just interested in in uh these very eclectic kind of uh, left field approaches to making uh, horror films, I think would, will be interested. Yeah. Left field is like a perfect word just because it takes an extreme turn (laughs) somewhere throughout the film, during the film. It's just, you, you can feel that there's a pressurization going on through the film and sort of the suspense and the horror that's building, but then it bursts into something really wild. Yeah. Um, Maybe yeah, maybe fans of audition should should try the black. <laughs> it's not that it's not as hardcore as that. I wouldn't no, say. No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the kind of horror that also makes you laugh sometimes, just because it's so ridiculous. But. Totally, and that's actually that's a good, that's a good thing for us to know is that um, Marita's films, like like we said, he worked in every kind of genre, but all the films are like very funny. He's mm-hmm. a he's a deeply ironic guy. Um, uh, he, you know, the films can't help but. Uh, sort of um, take the piss out of out of their subjects. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's hilarious, and I think I just wanted to point that um, 
Morita's uh, widow partner in life and also producer Kazuko Misawa will be here for um, some of the screenings uh, in the early part of the series. Um, and she really is such a funny, boisterous person. And you can tell how great of a partner she has been. And I mean, she's been part of the filmography from the very beginning. Yeah, so there's crazy. a lot of stories that we can hear from her. Yeah, so uh, Misawa-san will be joining us on Friday night um, for The Family Game and for Deaths in Tokimeki. She'll be back on Saturday night for The Black House. And on Sunday, uh, Misawa-san will, will be back one last time uh, to introduce a screening of uh, Marita's uh, late 90s, uh, another very moody, uh, very politically interesting, but for totally different reasons, uh, film uh, Lost Paradise. And she's going to be joined at that introduction by the film's composer, uh, Michiru Oshima, um, who is quite well known in the world of, uh, of, I guess, anime and video game scoring. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... That'll she she like she scored Full Metal Alchemist. If our listeners know what that is, which <laughs> if they know any anime, they probably know what that is. So yeah, yeah. You know, we saw the rest- the remastered version of the Family Game a couple of years ago, um, and I know I'd known the film mostly by reputation. I hadn't I hadn't seen it at the time that I got the remastered version. Um, but I mean, anyone who looks at that film would then I think become interested in what el- what else did this person make um but you've probably had a a slightly longer relationship with his work yeah i think uh, i mean i also first learned about moita with the family game but i actually learned about the family game when i was in college at nyu um i wasn't in the class but a friend of mine had taken a class where they showed the family game it was like hey i mean i think my friend was like hey you're japanese do you know the family game (laughs) it's this amazing film that i just saw and then i watched it um and it was as amazing as i um was told it is uh but then i hadn't really explored the rest of his filmography until perhaps i'd say three or four years ago when um i got connected to misawa-san through um kyoko hirano who used to be the long time um director of film at Japan Society um, and told me that Misawa-san's looking to be able to bring Morita's film, especially The Family Game, back to New York. Um, and so I started talking to her and then I was able to watch the entire filmography and I was just like, there's so much to dig in his filmography and it's going to, I, I just felt that New York audiences will love some of these movies and just wanted to present it and sort of came to Dan and asked if perhaps Lincoln Center might be interested. So, yes, uh, so tickets are on sale now. Um, in addition to the usual array of exciting ticket prices that we have, we also have uh, an all-access pass for the whole for the retrospective, which would get you into every screening. Uh, it's $65, so you can't beat that value. And, uh, and, it, the, and there's a student all-access pass as well for $35. So, um, so you students have no excuse for not, not attending. So, uh, once more of a feeling, uh, the retrospective, uh, the Yoshimitsu Maricha retrospective runs uh, from December 2nd uh, through December 11th. All the screenings are taking place at the Walter Reed Theater. For the complete listings, all the film descriptions and so on, go to our website, filmlink.org. Next up, we're revisiting an NYFF60 conversation with the Eternal Daughter director, Joanna Hogg, and the Showing Up director, Kelly Reichardt. 
Two of the leading auteurs of contemporary cinema, Hogg and Reichard, have built acclaimed bodies of work that stand out for their epic existential scope and intimate emotional textures. With The Eternal Daughter and Showing Up respectively, Hogg and Reichard take their filmmaking into new territories, exploring the poetic and prosaic imbrications of life and art, particularly in the personal and professional worlds of female artists. We were pleased to bring Hogg and Reichardt together for a conversation about their singular career trajectories, their distinctive approaches to writing and directing, and the process of translating personal experience into universally resonant stories of women on the verge of creative transcendence. NYFF 60 Talks were presented by HBO. Joanna Hogg's The Eternal Daughter is now playing in our theaters. Get showtimes and tickets at filmlink.org eternal. Thank you, Joanna and Kelly, for being with us. Am I correct that you just met? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Great. This will all still be fresh. It's been really tense. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. We'll get through it. Okay. Um, I wanted to just start with a... Um, because Kelly's film has, has shown uh, twice already... Um, and Joanna's film has yet to show. There are two screenings, uh, tomorrow and Tuesday, and both films are showing on the final weekend uh, as encore screenings because they were so popular. So um, since nobody seems Joanna's film, jo- Joanna's film, we maybe won't be diving into <laughs> the, de- the, de- the details. <laughs> no, but we want to talk about um, your, your work, your body of work and, and your practice. Um, but I thought I would just start with this idea. This is just this very simple question of, where films come from for both of you, because you just made a face. <laughs> That's a big question. No, well, okay. I'm I, 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 I will narrow this. I, I will narrow this down. <laughs> now, this some filmmakers talk about how they um, make a film like sort of in opposition. That's completely different from what they've just left behind, and oh. some people you know, just pick something up that, that, that was sort of residual from the last film. And I think it could be sometimes both, you know, because I think both your films have been described as departures, the, your new films in a way. Kelly's film has a comedy, uh, and Joanna's film has supernatural elements, although it also has a lot of things that are very connected to your previous films. So I'm just wondering if you can just talk about how these two came about and whether there's just a general sense of like, you know, whether you work against something or whether you continue threads from one film to another. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, it becomes more and more difficult in a way uh, to look back and work out what, why things came about or, 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 or what leads uh, from one thing to another, but um, I know we're here to talk about these things. So I, uh, I, I definitely take something from a previous film that I'm still interested in that carries forward into a future film. And it's not a particularly conscious thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not always the same type of thing. It might be a character or it might be a place or an object even. Um, so it, 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 there's something, there's some sort of game. I don't know, increasingly, I don't know if you find this, I don't see the films in my mind's eye as kind of separate from each other. So, yeah, the idea that the new one is a departure, it doesn't feel like a departure to me. Um, I just, I want to move on after film. I want to uh, 
not think about what I just did. And um, uh, really, after showing up, I really, well, I'm, I've shot enough in Oregon, and I really <laughs> get out of Oregon. But if it's been good to me. But, um, but yeah, I really want to, um, I always think I'm uh, doing something completely different. And I always go through this period of thinking, like, it's not going to be straightforward narrative, and it might be um, elements of, I don't know, I just think it's going to be, you know, by the time I'm making the film, I realize what a one-trick pony I am, and here it is again, and sort of like, oh, this, okay, yeah, got it. It's not that different, you know, but it's not that, um, uh, yeah, I always think I'm just going to be breaking away from a story in a way that I am not completely capable of, and so I'm, I want things to be more, uh, I imagine the next thing being so much more different than what I just did, but it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> what do you mean by breaking away from story? Well, um, Michael Amaretto's here. I remember you saying, like, you throw a story out the front door and it comes back through the window. Um, and it is true. I Well, I work with people at Bard who... Uh, don't work in straightforward narrative. And I always think it would be so great to not be so linear time-wise and um, to be able to, yeah, really to be able to play with time differently would be a part of it. And um, just, yeah, I guess structurally, I'd love to surprise myself completely. It's interesting. Uh, I, I, I have a sense for myself of wanting more story in a way. Uh, I mean, it's not that I'm so non-linear, but at the same time, yeah, a sort of urge to be... More narrative. A, a bit more narrative, actually. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, but the way that I make my films doesn't allow that in a way because yeah. the story has to come about so naturally. But sometimes yeah. I think, okay, I'd really like something very kind of, yeah, very clearly laid out beforehand and then see what happens. But, I, yeah, it never works out. I thought the last one, um, The Eternal Daughter, was mm -hmm. going to be the kind of story, and I'm not sure it is, actually. So I kind of disappoint myself a little bit each time. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe actually one way to... I think it would be interesting to hear you both talk about your, your process. I think you have very particular ways of working, what you alluded to, Joanna, about how the films are written, really, is, I think, just a big part of, of how the films are. Like that, that you, you make these films because of, how, of, of the process. So if you can say a little bit about how, um, what, what, let's start with writing, I guess. You know, I think you both have very particular um, writing methods. Maybe, Joanna, we'll start with you, which is, you know, I've heard you like, refuse to even necessarily refer to it as a screenplay. You know, you have... Um, something that's maybe more of an outline or more more novelistic, more about like the interior life of the characters and you use images a lot and, and, it's, and, and, and the lines are worked out with your actors on set. Yeah, I mean, it's always really difficult to describe what I do because it takes me as long to write my story or my document as it would a screenplay. So it can take a year or more to write what ends up being just 30 pages. Um, and so it would seem to be actually not very much there on the page, but it's taken me so long to work it out. Mm -hmm. 
but it is it's more like I don't know a short story or a I mean, it's a very internal description in a way. All the things that you're told to not do with the screenplay, which is, you know, write down the thoughts of the characters. I kind of write um, all that internal life, so it's a kind of internal map or something. But you're, uh, you're, the way you shoot is so specific to what's happening in the scene. I'm surprised that it's not... Um, uh, that you're not writing... You're not writing with shots in mind or setups in minor sequences? I might make notes about them, but it's not in this document. Right. And I find it very easy to forget. I don't know if you find yeah. this from film to film, actually what I did. So what I've just described made me kind of partly a lie in a way because yeah, yeah. there's so much else that goes into making a film and so yeah. many conversations with my collaborators. Right. So uh, there is actually, it's true, there is a lot worked out, but it's not necessarily in this sort of neat thing that you can yeah. see. Oh yeah, and my, hang on to. Not, so yeah. it's it's yeah, it's in notes yeah. and it's. I in, just mean more in your brain. I, I guess in my brain, no, there's a lot, mm -hmm. and 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 that's always uh, <laughs> it's always yeah, it's never satisfied. Yeah, there's always too much in my brain to fit into one film in a way. Right. Um, so it's yeah, but it, it, yeah, there's no neat way of describing it really. Yeah. And and Kelly. Writing for you, has it been more or less the same since you started collaborating with John Raymond? No, it's always been different. It, and each uh, film has been really different. Um, but, uh, well, in the beginning, when I first did the first film with him, I didn't know him. And I just got a short story from him yeah. and turned it into. But, um, and then, uh, then he became interested. <laughs> the, and, you know, so it became more sort of uh, figuring stuff out before it was a script. It involves so much hanging out, really. I don't even know how to sort of separate. Uh, I, we wouldn't even agree on how, on how things go necessarily, but I think we'd agree that he ends up, after all the hanging out, doing a sort of first, um, he loves the first like, ah, this. And I love the nitty gritty of how things are gonna be done and taking things apart and rearranging and connecting things. Uh, but now I'm writing alone for a minute and uh, that's been fun too. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think of, you know, I, I, I like to think about what things, I can't, and part of it's just, uh, I guess, practical that I ha need to think about. I can't separate like what kind of, what means I'm gonna have. Like I can't help but to think about how I'm gonna be able to do things and what they're gonna look like while I'm writing. Not that that ends up in a script, but that uh, um, that's part of it, yeah. Maybe we can move on then to like, you know, when you... That was mu so much less magical than it was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> the inspiration comes. <laughs> we'll find out where the magic yeah. happens. No, um, I'm interested in, sorry, no, Dennis. No, I, I, yeah, the trouble is I have so many questions I want to ask Kelly. Oh, you I should know, take not, you no, absolutely I, ask no, Kelly no, no, questions. No, but I, 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 um, I'm just so interested because I work alone on all yeah. my films. So I'm kind of envious mm -hmm. of this relationship you have. And I know you've just said you've yeah. Yeah, started to do stuff on your own, but it must be so nice to bounce things around and I it's yeah. great yeah that part is really good and even when I'm writing on my own I mean John has a novel right now and he's working on some other screenplays but we do come to points where we're like 
let's take a breather. I mean, we're super close friends, so we're very guarded over that. But regardless, he'll be talking to me about this other screenplays he's working on, and I'll be talking to him about what... It is nice to be... Um, and I've had this with Todd Haynes the same amount of years, 30 years of talking to the same friends about, and you can just jump in and have an ongoing conversation with it, you know. Uh, that's a, it's a big part of uh, the work, yeah, that ongoing conversation. Um, are you working with the same DP all the time? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I've worked, uh, the last film, well, the new one, The Eternal Daughter, I shot with the same DP as Exhibition okay. and Archipelago, actually. So we've done three films together yeah. and then the souvenirs were done with, uh, with another cinematographer, D David Radica, and then unrelated somebody else. So actually out of all the sort of collaborations of mine, that's the one where I'm sort of the least faithful in a way. Right. And the, the, everyone else, like the production designer, my mm -hmm. editor, uh, script supervisor even, they're, they're all, um, they're all right. old friends now from the first film. Oh, wow. So, which is so, so I mean, yeah. I know you have that too. It's just yeah. a, a, an unbelievable delight yeah. to deepen that friendship and that way of working. And it, I don't know, I feel I'm braver with, when I'm surrounded mm -hmm. by these great people and we're all sort of pushing each other on. It's just, it's just it makes it yeah. a pleasure, basically. Yes. And Kelly, you're quite loyal to your cinematographer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, it took me a long time to find him. And um, yes, um, I, I, yes. And so, um, <laughs> I mean, because it's the most important collaborative person you're gonna work with, and it's a really hard, it is really hard to find the right person. And it sucks when it's not like a great thing. And for so many reasons, it cannot be great. Just having to do with the nature of uh, the work. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I mean, the great thing about Chris Blavelt is it, the, he gives you the ultimate gift is he gives you space to figure out what you want to figure out and then just, um, you know, sort of, pokes me when I'm like, I've gone over to the wrong side of the room and pulls me back or whatever, you know, but he's, um, he's there to make it better. And he's, but he, and not he, rushing you. That's so nice. No, and not yeah. imposing anything. He's just, he is very generous with space, <laughs> which is an amazing thing. And speaking of cinematographers, we should say that Ed Lockman's here tonight, who's, uh, I think a hero to so many people. <laughs> Uh, the amount of films I've studied. I mean, I used Todd's films in my classes, and uh, we were both just saying how safe is such a, a favorite of both of ours. But I've studied a lot of films shot by Ed, and we talk a lot about Chris Blavelt is a fan of Ed Lockman's also. So we uh, there's a lot of uh, Ed conversation in our world, yeah. And Joanna, what do you think that that brings? If you keep, you know, many key members of your crew the same, but you have sometimes a different DP, that's just brings something different, a new variable to that important collaboration. It's not necessarily what I'd want, actually. Mm. I, I would like to have what Kelly has, uh, which is the same DP, DP mm. each time. And sometimes you just find they're shooting something else, or or yeah, or maybe I have had the thought, okay, maybe I'll 
just kind of push you know I'll, I'll find a different relationship but i but ideally i would like uh, i'd like to have that same person all the time so i'm 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 looking mm. <laughs> well because all these things yes. are great if the conversation isn't starting at the beginning on all levels and you just pick up where you've been you're already in the conversation and so it's not you're not starting over and then sometimes it's great to have some new blood in the world you know but but, but mostly, it, mostly not. not. Mostly no, not, no, because yeah. it's an exhausting uh, process, and you yeah. don't actually want to be challenged that much because you want to go. You want to be really creative and open, and excited. And it's yeah, you've just got to have everyone swimming in the same direction in a way. And, and, mm. and if then if someone isn't, you really feel it. And it and it a shoot is such a precious thing. It's only a few weeks, and if it yeah. if it sets off in the wrong way, then it's really. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, to come back to what you were saying about about writing, would you want to collaborate with the right person, or do you think that's not possible given how you write? I, I'm I'm I've thought about it, yeah. but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if I could go to the depths that I go mm -hmm. to, um, or I feel that I go to um, with somebody else. I think I would be. I'd get, or maybe it would be good for the for the kind of story that I want to make, <laughs> because it would it would it would bring me to the surface a bit more. Um, whereas I'm very kind of, yeah, I kind of get into quite a dark place sometimes and, mm. and, and yeah, maybe, well, again, the right person. And, and, and if I wanted to do a particular kind of film, then right. may, maybe, yeah. This idea of going to the depths, does it have to do with personal material or autobiographically, you know, sort of inflected material? Not even no. just that, but I feel I have to understand this thing that I'm doing. Uh, I mean, it's just an instinctive thing. I'm really not thinking about it consciously, but I, I have to... I have to sort of know what the what the bottom of it is somehow, and in mm -hmm. order to do that, I've got to. There's a bit of there's quite a bit of soul, soul searching, mm -hmm. even if it's not about me, the film. It's sort of, yeah, it's, it's just getting to the soul of it or something. Right. There's. I mean, I couldn't. Uh, I think that maybe the part you're talking. I mean, uh, after, you know, like, there is a point where you know, like John has to go away and. <laughs> and and it, it, you have to have all that, and you take it all apart, and yet, and it, and it's hard for screen. You know, that's another hard partner to find because again, that person has to know that what they're involved in isn't going to be a final thing, and is is part of something else. And it's not like you know, it's not like writing a book, and you're gonna have you got to really be able to let go of things, and. Um, that's yeah. interesting. So he he yeah. he knows to step back at a certain point, or you he, kind yeah, of he's, slightly he's, push him back, or no, he, yeah. he's done. He <laughs> he's, he likes the first like, and then he's like, ah, it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> but um, but no, but we uh, but he uh, yeah, it's just so much leading up to it, so much whatever, seeing art, going out, seeing movies, going to look at places, and you know, there's a lot of uh going out and seeing things and talking and talking before the writing. And then it's the time it's like on paper. He's after he does his first thing, he's really ready to kick it over. And, and is he around when you're shooting? Uh, he holds court sometimes comes around a little bit. I see him, you know, sitting on a lawn chair over there and I'm get really, what the fuck? I should be a writer. <laughs> um, uh, but he, uh, it's nice. If he doesn't, he come. He he looks at cuts and stuff, which and gives notes, which is really helpful, actually. Um, I mean, we're 
really close. We live right near each other, very close. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested because funny enough, one of the questions I had was because uh, yeah, as you said, you set your films in uh, you know in Oregon or uh, maybe Montana. Um, yeah, I wonder if you'd ever go to another country, even not even another part of the states. No, I, I could shoot somewhere else um, for sure. Um, it was so funny in Montana. It seemed like such a big move. And then I remember my producer getting there and going like, oh, it looks so much like Oregon. <laughs> it was like, okay, great. Um, but uh, I don't, I, I just, I don't speak any other languages. And I can't imagine how you make a film somewhere. Uh, I feel like I understand I mean it's puzzling to me but I understand America and Americans I just I just don't know how I'd go somewhere and have like a, a layered understanding of things being that I don't speak any other languages yeah, yeah. I, I mean I'm, I'm also partly interested because I'm considering going out of my comfort zone in, in a way and I'm questioning it if it's a good idea or not and I'm just curious because you you know you've been much more local than I have, and uh, I don't. I think maybe sometimes it's interesting to go somewhere else and have a night's outsider's yeah, viewpoint. Sure. So um, you're considering making a film that's not British? Uh, well, I, I'm already giving too much information. I actually have no idea what the next thing is going to be, but I, yeah. yeah, it's a couple of ideas. Well, it seems like you have a little idea. <laughs> All right. Um. um I want to actually kind of maybe take you through more more like aspects of the just the process because I think it's really interesting to hear you both talk about it. Can you can we maybe talk about actors and um, maybe casting first and then nobody's and then working ever with just them. to say like nobody's ever had a real conversation about casting. It can't be done. <laughs> I mean, it's just not practical. I mean. Uh, anyway, I've already I've already said too much. Like you know, I'm like it's a. <laughs> It's a, I don't know, cast. Yeah. You have, a, have you got a casting director? Yes, Gail Keller. Uh, and uh, she's great. I mean, I mean, I don't know what your, um, what is your, I mean, you get, when you're casting and you're getting financing, are those two things hand in hand? Uh, no. No, not right. yet, and I would prefer yeah, them not to be. Yeah, but I think that's American. But, that, but, that's but it is American. for you, Kelly, right? It it has to be for you, isn't it? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, not hand in hand. Oh, it has to be hand in hand because because we're I in mean, America. I mean, well, we're in America. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I love my actors, uh, you know, um, but it's uh, it it's you know it's a different it, it's it's a thing. It's there. It exists. I mean, I mean, I was actually allowed, sorry, I was allowed to, uh, First Cal doesn't have any, like, name actors. Oh, no, now I have uh, David Lobb from A24 in my, in my scope while I'm talking about this. Um, you know, and I, and I, and that was, that was, that was, that was um, f fun, you know. Um, I mean, I'm so lucky I've gotten to work with the actors I've worked with. That's what I really want to say. It's true. <laughs> But it is a, um, it, when you shoot in other countries, that's not the. Well, it helps. It helps. And I think it mm. depends on the budget level. And I'm, my budgets are, are, are kind of at the point where it isn't yet an issue. But if I decide to do something for much more money, then immediately 
but uh, it's going to be an issue. But it's an issue for all budget levels in America. Well, I, I don't want to yeah. make out that it's not from the UK, but I, 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 I don't. Who is Tilda yeah. Swinton that you're using? <laughs> <laughs> it's unknown. <laughs> Um, she's amazing. You have a relationship with her. Uh, I have, I have a, a very old relationship yeah. with her. We were that we were eleven. Through. I think it really comes through. Where? How far back do you go? Uh, eleven years old. Whoa! Wow! That's wild. So so actually, I forget until you, you wow. know when you say that. I think that's oh, I'm just crazy. working with friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And. Yeah, actually, before I made the souvenirs, well, she's not the lead in that. It's uh, yeah, it's really the last one that is kind of with the star in a sense. But uh, no, we go back a long way, and and that's why the film that I probably assume most of wow. you haven't seen yet is was possible because yeah. it 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 was kind of a conversation between us in a way. Oh my gosh, since you were eleven, that's almost like that's complicated. That's not like uncomplicated, is it? <laughs> Is it? I mean, 11. That's like you went to high school together? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's complicated, actually. I mean, we've had periods of our lives where we've drifted apart. Mm -hmm. um, and then, which is quite good in a way, because then when we come together, yeah, it's, sure. yeah, we don't get tired of each other. And then Tilda's off doing right. films and, right. you know, busy. You know, we've both got busy lives, so yeah. we're not seeing each other but, all the time. But just to imagine her as in a is someone that isn't, like I don't know Michelle out that much out of, away from being in a movie set with her. Um, but if you know someone, like you have to see her as a completely different person or her characters are close enough to, it doesn't get in the way. Well, it's uh, interesting you say that because actually I, the, the, the eternal daughter, the new one, um, I wanted to make a version of that film with the same title actually in 2008, and then and then we um, then we worked together on the souvenirs, and I realised working with Tilda is not like working with an actor. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. have, have believed it until I experienced it, and I, I think it's not just because of our friendship, but she's just the way that she's so. Um, it's almost like she's in a documentary or something. She's so much about the moment and is what I dream of when I work with a, a, a non-actor, you know, let alone somewhere, someone um, of Tilda's experience. So then the, the eternal, then, and then I thought, well, she's perfect for the eternal daughter. And it was really, uh, yeah, it was so much about our friendship, the making of that film. Wow. She's amazing. One follow-up casting question is actually um, Honor the lead in The Souvenir 1 and 2, Tilda's daughter, of course. Um, she, You found her quite late, or you decided on her quite late in the process, right? Yeah, well, well casting for me comes with uh, usually quite a lot of, uh, well, actually, I was going to say stress, uh, not so much for myself, but for everyone around, because I, I'm sure like you, you know, I have to get the right person mm -hmm. for the role, and usually the the... the the film is already, there's already a date for starting the shoot and yeah. everything's set up. Um, and sometimes I don't find the actor until really late on and mm -hmm. um, it dr drives everyone a bit nuts. But I kind of, it's something, I don't know, I find I've become sort of blind to everything, all the sort of worry around me and I just have to get that right person. And, and uh, Honor, um, I saw Honor, I met Honor 
three weeks or something before we started that shoot. And so that was, I think I've slightly had enough of the, that kind of leaving it to the last minute because it's just, uh, it takes its yeah. toll, I think. And, and you know, obviously she's a lead in not one yeah. film, but two films. So it's kind of, um, but it's not the only time that's happened where it's like at the last minute, I'll find mm -hmm. my cast. There's been, um, I mean, yeah, with showing up, I guess, the thing with, it's so easy to work with. I mean, it's just a pleasant thing to work with Michelle. She's just fun to work with and just so, it's just nothing not positive about it. But it does sometimes take me a while to find her in the role because I have made other films with her. And, um, and sometimes it's something small, like I found a, someone gave me a picture of Lee Bonacu, the sculptor. Mm -hmm. And that is like what opened the door in my mind to like that Michelle could be in that work in that part. And it was just like, what a relief. Okay, yeah, okay, I see it now. Like this is how this can work. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. It's just that it takes some, um, but some of the casting has gone quite long just to find the search has gone on and on to find the right person like with the Orion Lee uh, for um, First Cow. And that is really Gail Keller just searching the world and really- He's fantastic. Um, uh, helping, so yeah. yeah. And doing, I did a lot of readings with him from a distance and uh, he, it wasn't obvious to me in the beginning it was him, but he just kept remaining in my, kept sort of resurfacing and resurfacing over a long period of time. And um, yeah, it worked out really nicely. But mm. but that's a process of, I guess, seeing a lot of people and trying to figure out uh, what doesn't work. And then your idea of what you're looking for becomes clearer. Because when you're writing, you can change what you think it is in your head every day. But even with someone you know, on the moment when you start shooting, all of a sudden there's this voice that's not the voice in your head that's saying the lines and uh, responding to someone else and they have their dynamic and everyone has their own body language and the way they do stuff. And it's always um, surprising and, and a relief that it's surprising and, all, and, um, and you're letting go of something at the same time because it's becoming a finite thing that can't keep changing. But I agree, it's a kind of yeah. adjustment that yeah. you have to make, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to stay with actors, maybe we can talk about um, just the process of actually working with them and directing them. And I'm curious specifically about rehearsal and also the lack or absence of rehearsal as something that, you know, sort of shapes the films. Uh, well, in my case, no rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have... Um, Usually there's some kind of th week of like, well, in showing up, the artist had to work with the other artist to learn how to make the art. And so there was that process. Or in First Cow, they had to, like, the actors arrived in Portland and we met them and we put them in their clothes and sent them into the woods with a survivalist and so where they could learn how to do all these things over the course of a week of, you know, making fire without matches and skinning a squirrel and cooking thing, you know, trap making traps and all this sort of thing. So there's that kind of stuff. There is a 
a usually something that has to be learned, but it's but we don't do lines or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you had a kind of rehearsal in a way with uh, showing up. I watched the two documentaries oh, yeah. you made. So was that that was sort of yeah, were you finding me, the story not a little the bit story. through that? I was. Um, I made two um, uh, shorts. Just I got some sixteen millimeter film and. Uh, it was during the writing process and I was just, you know, filmmaking, you know, you have your alone time where you're building your books and writing and then there's, you go through this big collaboration time. Um, and I just wonder, like, people, you know, I'm, I, you become envious of people who just go like, oh, I'll just pick up this piece of clay and go in my studio and make something lovely. I was like, oh God, really no no meetings, no uh, fundraising, no anything, just, um, so I wanted to, we were working on the script and it wasn't, we were really sort of in a little bit of a lost patch uh, from the direction of what we thought we were gonna make and what we were turning towards. And I um, went to Michelle Segre's studio in the Bronx and filmed her working and Chris was in town and came with me and, and it was really fun, it was super low stakes and it was like, Usually, you know, because Chris is such a great operator, if the camera's moving, it's in Chris's hand. But it was just like, oh, yeah. I was like being in, you know, I was just like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if I fuck this up. Let me do this. And, you know, it was, it was, it was great. And just to see how someone works and how I would film someone in their studio. And then I went to Long Beach and filmed uh, Jessica Jackson Hutchins in a, um, in a ceramic studio where they have these giant kilns. And uh, I got out there to meet her. And I worked with some old students of mine came, which was really fun, because they're like adults now, and they came with the camera. And uh, she said, oh, I finished all my work. I'm just doing emails today. I was like, no, you're not. So I ended up having to direct, like it ended up having to like kind of figure out things for her to do so that I could, um, and fortunately there was someone else working there that I could also film, but it became so, um, uh, and also I was like, well, don't open the kiln till I get there so I can see, film that, because I wanted the real experience. And she had already like done it before I got there. So, I, you know, it was like, she was, she was like, I'm a good actor, I can do this. So I was just like, this isn't what I'm trying to do right now. But um, it was interesting. Um, but it, it was really helpful in um, just learning how, just what people's tools they use and what they, how they move around their space. And, um, but each of them would sit and do something for a really long time. Like, okay, I can't, okay. Oh, it's been 10 minutes, okay. <laughs> it's a lot of film. Do something else, what else can you do? So there, it, it wasn't like documentary as much as I wanted it to be, it was, or maybe that is how documentary goes. I don't know. Uh, but it was it was great to do um, and have just go film something and have the stakes be so completely low was really fun. Maybe we should wrap up the process question part of it um, and talk about editing. Um, that's process. Yeah, we'll, 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 that's oh, okay. my last process question, oh, and then I see, we'll move I see. on. Okay, okay. But because uh, but I think it's been a very illuminating to hear you both talk about process. So maybe we'll we'll, we'll move on to other types of questions. But I, editing, Kelly, is something you do yourself. Yeah, um, I really love editing. Um, 
it's a lot like writing in a way. Uh, I mean, you get back to it and you're, you've been with a lot of people and then you're by yourself again. Um, and uh, you, it's no longer like, what's the film we're making? Now it's like, okay, this is the film I made and what am I, now what am I doing, you know? And, and so, uh, yeah, the whole thing, now you're, it's all broken apart again and you're rebuilding it and taking it apart and rebuilding, just like, I guess, to me, like what's script writing, just keep like making it whole and then taking it apart. And, and that's kind of what editing's like. And there's so many things to find and figure out, little secrets of um, just still continuously um, surprising to me how space and time works in editing and whether that's like to get to get anything across, whether it's humor or a moment or whatever, uh, uh, just that it's all about time and um, timing and space. And then also more frustratingly uh, realizing that I, I just have such an absolute rhythm and um, that I always think I'm gonna break away from and that I always think I have broken away from and then I'll show a first cut to Todd Haynes and he'll say like, can't you break up the rhythm? <laughs> I go, ah, damn. Uh, you know, so, um, uh, yeah, it's a learning process, but it teaches you a lot about, like, where you want to put a camera and how you would, what you want to do when you're thinking about shots, so. And for you, Joanna, what, what's the editing process about for you? Well, actually, I, I realize that um, I don't work with a writer, but I work with an editor. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it is a form of writing yeah. in many ways. So I, I, I get that companionship for, yeah. for that time. Uh, and uh, and I, uh, um, yeah, I'm always wanting to change the rhythm of my films. And I always think, oh, this one's kind of really fast moving <laughs> and really got a very different kind of thing going. And uh, I, yeah, I think we all have our own personal rhythms mm -hmm. that are reflected in our films. So. I, I, I can't change who I am in a way. And, and, and what I love about Hella, the editor I work with, and she's been with me, been with me, <laughs> you know, if you know what I mean, since uh, uh, my f 16 years, 17 wow. years or something. And we know each other so well now. And we, we don't see so much of each other. We're all rather like you, well, maybe it's different. You and John sort of live nearby Hella's in Copenhagen. Um, but she, um, she and I share a sensibility. Mm. I feel uh, she's incredibly non-judgmental, which I love. I mean, I've worked with some editors in the past who will kind of be quick to criticize an actor's performance or something. And Hella's just so open, and so, and we kind of mold the film together. And it's so, it's such a pleasure. Yeah. And it's very quiet and it's very slow. And there are times when I do, you know, I'll look at the material or I'll edit the material um, on my own. She's not proud at all. So I'll cut something and then she's always eager to see it. So we'll kind of exchange a bit. And of course, with the kind of recent pandemic years, um, in fact, uh, surprisingly, because it didn't feel like it, but with The Eternal Daughter, we weren't, we were hardly in the same room together, actually. Oh, wow. So that's quite, uh, mm. I mean, it seems quite strange, but it didn't, because we already knew each other for so many years. Right. It was okay if I if I was working with her for the first well, time. It would have been impossible. How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you were uh, uh, 
in the same city, in the same space, coming in at different times, or in no, different in different countries. Oh my God, that's wild! Uh, and uh, and we had a system uh, where um, I can see what she's doing, and she can right. see what wow. I'm doing, okay. and uh, it it works really well. Mm. And then the, I always find with editing because it's exhausting. I don't know if you find yeah. that. Well, if you're doing it on your own, it's yeah. I mean super exhausting. I mean intense. So I find I need a lot of breaks. I can't just sort of do it and do it and do it. Yeah. And so we'll kind of take pauses or she'll, she'll go off and kind of put something together and then we'll look at it. But we do, I mean, yeah, it is, it, it's, it's Naps. yes. Napping. Napping. And, <laughs> and, and, and it, it, but it, yeah, it's true. It is writing yeah. and particularly mm. because of the way that I shoot um, and that I'm just exploring, moving forward all the time and constructing the story in this mm. way. Editing is just an extension of that. Yeah. I, I think I'm supposed to open it up for audience questions, although I have many more. But Because uh. we, did, um, we did, ended up doing color timing remotely, and I thought that's going to be, well, we're in for a nightmare. And it was really great. It was not. I mean, I think a few, like even a year ago, it would have been a nightmare or impossible. But I guess Ed and Todd did it remotely for uh, Velvet's Underground, and it made me think I could do it. And it worked out great, actually. You don't prefer it, I know, but. Oh, well, Chris Blavelt and I were, right, that's true. But we were in the same room, Chris and I, but we weren't in the same room with the cup timer. Yeah. Yes. I, that's, <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. It's because you can get physical with the timer. <laughs> timer. I've sat in on your color timing sessions. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask one more. Okay. I'm going to shift, shift gears a bit and ask just a more general, um, maybe kind of abstract question. <laughs> um, I'm curious about the... The idea of um, this was prompted in part by um, seeing Kelly's film in in Cannes um, showing up, which was in a competition in Cannes. A lot of people loved the film, and then I, the, the refrain I kept hearing was just like, "Oh, it's it's great, but it's too small to win the Palme d'Or. It's not going to win the competition." Yeah. Then the word "small" kept coming up, and then I saw you did a, an an interview with the AP where you said like. Uh, that you're pro, like, you know, sort of modest, small films. And you was like, I, I want, I'm happy to like, I, I think it was a headline in this piece that you're like, um, I'm happy to have the B-side or something, you know, of um, the record. So I'm curious of this idea of like big versus small. What, what is a small film? And uh, how, how can I <laughs> be against small? <laughs> I mean, and um, um, yeah, because I'm curious yeah. about this notion that sometimes applied to personal films or films that are not of a certain budget level or um, do not, I don't know. I don't know what, what measure of significance yeah. is being used, but like it, it is a term that comes up. Um, As and, does slow, yeah, slow uh, and small. And, Wins um, the race, isn't that it? <laughs> oh, it's steady, right? Slow and steady. <laughs> slow and <it>, sweet. <laughs> Joanna, do you have thoughts on this? I, 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 I think I, it's... I've heard a lot of description of my film as small. I'm not so flattered as Kelly. <laughs> well, I have to be looking. I just like always it. see it as as derogatory. Yeah, I mean, right. I think well, what is small? What is big? And and what I think, 
it, that we're both, okay, I'm not speaking yeah. for you, yeah. but we're both interested in a certain level of subtlety that I think is just uh, uh, swept across the, I, I think people, they don't, they don't see subtlety as something that's sort of remarkable or big enough or something. And I and I'm I'm curious because I, I can't get away from that. I'm interested, yeah. you know, I'm looking at some someone's yeah. moving their feet or I mean you you know, it, it, I'm just so interested in the detail of everyday life and which makes it impossible actually to do those kind of big stories. So but it's not I don't know, is is yeah, is is it are we all capable of watching something? with subtlety anymore. I'm just aware, even myself, you know, my phone's in the way, I'm checking text messages, and, and so much life is missed with, mm -hmm. yeah, how, yeah. How, how fast everything's moving. But, but I, it's also, uh, yeah. I don't know, it's the same old, same old, I don't know, you know, it's also, I don't know, it's always been the, it's not that different than it being sort of the 90s and being the boys game and, you're a, it's a female forever in the 90s it was like we don't do women's films women's films I just feel like now that's been replaced that gets replaced for smaller but do you think it's gendered slower. this is notion it, is, of I mean, is it a gender, gender thing I don't know yeah. it's in there it's in the mix hmm. I would think but it doesn't I don't know I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't feel it as a gender thing actually I think it's just a, a it's I, a I quality like of attention every, I see everything that way <laughs> that's my but um, filter I, I, but uh, do you think that showing up could be read as um, a film in defense of the small like the kind of artist who works on uh, a smaller scale well I never I didn't I knew when we went to Cannes it wasn't uh, no but I think not film. the film itself but like what the yeah. film's about the idea yes. of Michelle's of Lizzie's practice the thing is, is about is is a uh, people that get up every day and need something to work on, like the way you need to eat food. Like, this is what keeps me um, grounded. This is what keeps me connected to people. This is what, um, this is what makes my days. I need to, at the end of the day, if I say, was today a good day or not? It's like, what did I get done? You know, it's like, uh, I, I, you know, it's really the Warhol thing of like, work 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 you know of uh but that uh and so but to and maybe there's no audience like but you still have that drive i guess that's mm -hmm. sort of what's right. the condition of the people uh in the film um or your audience or your friends that come to see everything um but so i i, I don't it's the termite versus yeah. elephant uh Though I never was completely sure that Manny Farber was that, that Termite was a positive. I don't mean... I think I'm they're pretty sure. ambiguous categories. Yeah. Amb yeah. Um, were you... But were it's you, not... Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know. I also think of it as American. I don't know. I didn't know that that would be true for you, too. I think America's so into the... You know... Uh, <laughs> you, you Size know, and um, spectacle... You yeah. mean in, in describing your work in that way? America likes violence a lot. And America likes um, non-ambiguous... Uh, I don't think America, Americans love ambiguity. It's, uh, and, and, but maybe it's not just an American thing. I'm just saying mm -hmm. I... I um, 
And, you know, I don't know. I, I never personally, like, had the desire. I liked punk rock. I liked everything being on the on the not in the center out to the uh, side of things. I mean, when you don't win, it can. It means you can go join all your friends that have come with you to the festival on the beach. And when you do win, it means you got to get dressed up again and go back to the, <laughs> into another night of like the thing. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm quite satisfied uh, being um, on the, I don't know, never, I, I'm, I'm happy to be on the, whatever it is around the, edges just, um just to conclude like you were referencing manny farber's um yes, yes. white elephant art versus termite yeah. art i think the other um another paradigm which i think you referenced i saw something that cited a talk or something you gave in locarno which is the um ursula Le Guin carrier bag theory oh, right. of fiction hunter versus gatherer Right. Um, um, the weapon. The spear versus, versus the bag the that carries the yeah. seeds. Yeah. So maybe that's um, another yeah. way of thinking. No, she. That's her thing is perfect. Yeah. That's really a perfect. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think I don't know how many how many questions we can take. One, two, two. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. Right there. You know you're in trouble when the questions coming off the. Screen. It, it, it's going to be complicated. <laughs> to me, and I, I mean, your work is, I just saw the eternal door. There's a lot of ambiguity in that. It's like an open door. It's one, you know, it's really completely special in that, how much room throughout it, I'm just like, oh, she's letting me fit, mm -hmm. like, and, and, and there's something about the ambiguity in it. Sorry, you guys haven't seen it yet. But there's something about the way it's shot, the, the openness, like you're in an, in an interior space, but the way you're using those hallways and those, go, her going in and out of doors is very just like, has something really to do with that you, uh, what you're doing as a viewer, you're going like, okay, now I'm going to look at it like this. I've been in this space before. I've been in this room before. I've been in this hallway before. I'm getting to know this space. But um, I mean, speaking of space, sorry, the weirdest thing that happened to me, and it's terrible, I was watching Joanna's film in my hotel room. It was really bad. But it was the only way I could see it before today. But, forgiven. <laughs> I know, but I had the lights out. It was really dark. And so I totally, when it was over, the, I just never ever, I was expecting I was going to be in one of those beds in one of those rooms, not in my space that I was in. But um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm not really answering the question. I just... Um, it's a uh, difficult question. It's a difficult question because, I mean, it's cool if people leave and they um, see things in different ways. And, like, the dream for me would be that, you know, you walk home from the movie and two people read something differently and had different ideas about it or, you know, that would be cool. That would be great. Um, Although I sometimes get frustrated when I hear such different interpretations of a film I've done. I think, hang on, have I not given enough kind of, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> guiding here. There's something uh, when it's when it's too. Yeah, when I can't connect at all. I mean, I'm not expecting to connect to everyone, everyone's response at all. But when, you know, when they're when they're so different, I think, wow, they've just yeah. seen. It's like they've seen a different film from each other. Well, we talking about safe. I mean, the end of that film to me is not that. I mean, there's people when that film came out, people really tried to see a happy ending in that film. They wrapped themselves in knots I think to still, see a happy. Some people still do. I think. I, yeah. I, that's amazing. People want their happy ending, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> so, um, can we take another? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, John always wants to do a high school comedy, like, and he's he's always trying to shove that into everything. We're like, but we're in the desert. Uh, with um, you know, it's been such a completely dark time that we're in and I think a really scary time and um, so it was really for I think our own um, mental health at the time to try to do something with some that we could live in that had some levity to it and some pleasure and some beauty um, because uh, yeah tough times can we do one more okay yeah right there I mean, I, 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 this isn't exactly an answer to your question, but I find uh, I'm working, I'm, 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 I'm kind of writing as I go along. So my thoughts are always, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm changing so much because I'm, are you shooting in story order? No, no. So I shoot, yeah, yeah, always. And I... <laughs> I I have to find this. I have to find the f the film to fit. I mean, the story yeah. has to fit that. That's the main thing. That's my right. main aim in life is yeah. to shoot in story order. So I'm just preoccupied with where the story's going. I guess. I mean, on wow. yeah, among many other things. Wow, that's great. Of course, yeah. you would have to. Yeah. Well, thinking of, wow, no, I wish. But yours feel like they are. So that's yeah. Nothing to be. Yeah, they're not. They're <laughs> not. None of them. No. no. Well, no. No. First car? No. 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 Um, I would, that would be so fantastic. That would just take so much off the plate. Um, but it's all about locations and when you can get to them. I don't know, for me, there, there's always a... Um, a great thing that happened in First Cow as far as going to work was... Uh, going to work used to be one of my least favorite times. I would ride in the van with the producers... And I get in the van and I want to think about what I have to, the problem I have to solve in shooting. And they'll say like, hey, you know, and bring up some logistical problem that like for Thursday. And, and I, I don't care. I can't think about it. And so on First Cow, we agreed that I would never be in a car with them. And it, <laughs> it changed everything. We all liked each other so much more. Um, so just so that you can, I mean, in showing up, I could walk to work sometimes, which was amazing. And we did have, at the school we shot at, we had the whole compound. So our production office was in like one building and then the next building was the set. And that was almost like as close as I'll ever get to working in a movie studio. So it was, that was cool. That was great. Um, but there's always, yeah, it's great to think about um, 
Well, yeah, it's funny. I got to, I am thinking about the shots, you know, and uh, where we were shooting, showing up. Uh, we were shooting in one apartment building. Chris Blavelt was living in the place next door, and I like to get there early and just be alone in the set before anyone comes. And uh, I just get there in the morning, and uh, he'd open his uh, window, and his arm would come out and hand me the finder. He's not even dressed. He's just like, here's the finder. And I go in and have my time to myself and try to, you know, problem solve before or just get my, have your, having time to yourself before everyone's there is really nice. Um, I just want to say before we go, I'm just such a huge fan of doing And it's such a pleasure for me and um, really so happy to be doing it with you, Dennis. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you to you, Bill. Yeah. This was really wonderful. Yeah. We should make it an annual event. Maybe. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah.